Welcome to the Hill City Podcast. This is a recording of the weekly gathering from Hill City Church. We exist to help people follow Jesus and build their lives around three goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. If you'd like to join us, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. We hope that today's message will help you follow Jesus. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. It's funny, the older I get, the more that I find myself becoming a little bit more like my dad. Uh, I, we always used to make fun of my dad for always being uh, strict about the lights in our house. Uh, maybe your dad did that. He went around and always, always turning lights off in his house. And we would always make fun of my dad for that, being like, Dad, it's not that big of a deal. And you want to know what happens now that I'm a dad? I'll give you two guesses. You know, like I walk around and I'm constantly turning lights off and I'm constantly being like, William, you left your light on again. He's like, sorry, dad, comes up and turns it off and doesn't even do anything. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, or I come in and I see the girl's light is on the closet. I'm turning it off. You know, I go around and they all have these little lights, these like nightlight things on. I'm turning those all off. And, you know, it's always, I feel like I'm doing this. Or um, the, other, the other week I walked into my parents' house and I go, I look down, I'm like, huh, my dad and I have the same shoes. And that's going to happen when we both shop at Costco. You know, like that's just how it's going to work, right? I find myself like just slowly turning into uh, this guy who I was like, nah, I'm not going to be like that. But it's just what happens, right? It's the inevitable realities of life that kind of begin to happen. And so, but it's funny as we Uh, begin to wrap up our series, Iconic, where we've been looking at these iconic moments in the life of Jesus, uh, to begin to just ask the simple question, what are the things that we pass on to the people closest to us? I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that question before, uh, but have you ever thought about what are the things that you want to pass on, or maybe the things that you are just naturally passing on to the people around you? We all want the people close to us, closest to us to remember the greatest things about us. And I, often, and I kind of began shifting in my thinking this week, thinking, I wonder what Jesus' uh, main thing he wanted to pass on to his disciples was. Right? I mean, we have so many things throughout Scripture that, ta- that he talks about. I've set an example for you to follow. I've set an example for you to follow. But what is, like, the main thing that he desires the people closest to him to receive from him, to begin to live out? I am here today to make an argument that I believe that the greatest character trait of Jesus that he desires for you and I to model in our lives daily is his humility. Things like love and sacrifice and forgiveness, those things are often the things when I say, hey, what, are, what is Jesus' greatest character trait? Those are often the things that kind of bubble up to the surface. It's his love. If, if we didn't know his love, then we wouldn't have life. It was his sacrifice. If we didn't experience his sacrifice, then we would never have his forgiveness. Or it's forgiveness. You know, if we didn't experience his forgiveness, then we would still be stuck in the penalty and the power of sin over our lives. And the the answer to the reality is, like, those are great things. They're not bad things. But my argument here is that it's actually his humility that allows us to experience all of those things. Philippians 2 is a great 
passage that talks about the humility of Jesus. It's not going to be on your screens, but I just want you to listen as I read a few verses from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, specifically, or 6 through 8, specifically. Talking about Jesus, it said, Paul says, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see what Paul is saying? He's saying, listen, his sacrifice, his death on a cross, awesome. His love that he showed us by being made in human likeness, awesome. But all of those things we were able to experience because he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he emptied himself and became a man. And because we were able to experience Jesus as a man, we are able to experience his love, his forgiveness, his sacrifice. And perhaps no story greater displays Jesus' humility than what we find in John chapter 13. And John chapter 13 begins what is known as the upper room discourse. And so before Jesus was arrested and before he went to trial, he spent time in an upper room over a meal with his disciples. And John 13 is the beginning of this scene beginning to play out for Jesus. And it's in this scene that I believe we get the, one of the greatest pictures of Jesus' humility that we have in all of Scripture, which makes it iconic. So we're going to read John 13. We're going to read a chunk of this, this passage here together. We're going to read all 17 verses, so stick with me here. It's, we're going to start right in verse 1. John 13. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you, not, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you is. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is, was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. You might be sitting there and saying, that doesn't sound very iconic. That sounds actually pretty disgusting. But when we look at the deeper meaning of this moment and what it has for you and for I as followers of Jesus, we will discover together what makes this moment iconic. And we, we've talked about this many times, how Jesus is our model for all of life. That's why one of our values is that as followers of Jesus, we want to become like him and do the things that he has done. We want to build our lives in this way. And therefore, if Jesus is our model for life and he is our model for humility, and we want to become like him, then we need to begin to put on humility just like he did. So today, we are going to look at how John 13 paints a picture of humility for you and for me as followers of Jesus. And the first thing that we see is that or humility is motivated by love. Some of you might have a, a, a misunderstanding of what humility is. Humility is not humiliation, right? That doesn't sound very loving. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less, Right? I, love, I love the definition uh, of Dallas Willard. He says, humility is having a realist, or being real, realistic about yourself. Humility is the, the ability to put the needs and desires of others before your own. And when we read this passage, well, all we have to do is look in the very first verse to see that Jesus was motivated by his love for the disciples. It says, having loved his own who were in the world. Jesus washed the feet of the people whom he loved. And we often think that humility can be accomplished without love. If I can just serve, that's enough. And Jesus is showing us, no, at the heart of humility needs to be, or at the heart of love, humility needs to be love. The verse goes on to say that he loved them to the end. This is not a, just a statement of how long he loved his disciples, but rather it's a picture of the degree of Christ's love for his followers. Christ loved fully and completely and perfectly the people who were with him. That's the reality of Jesus' love for them. It's the reality of Jesus' love for you and for me. Love is what motivated the final words and acts of Jesus. And from God's perspective, I don't know if you've thought about this much, but there really isn't anything that makes us even remotely desirable to God. I don't say that in like a self-deprecating way. Like, it's just true. He's holy. We are unholy. He is just. We are unjust. He is loving, and we are filled with sin in all different types of forms. I mean, this is the reality of who we are. But despite of all of this, Jesus still loves us. And God doesn't love us because we first loved him. Instead, he, he's, not, he's, not, he's not just giving us back what we've already given him. Instead, the love of Christ for us is as a, out of a desire just to simply know us and to be in communion with him. His love is, is unending, unchanging, and unconditional. I remember one time I was, t I was meeting with students and we were talking about the love of Jesus and out of nowhere this kid goes, Rick, 
you want to know what Jesus' love is like? And I was like, no, which is always a unique thing when a, when a seventh grade boy speaks up and is like, you want to know what Jesus' love is like? And I was like, and so I'm just kind of leaning in on the edge of my seat, wondering what is he, what he, what's he going to say. He's like a Twinkie. I was like, okay, tell me more because uh, I'm not following right now. It's full of cream, kind of gross. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, and he goes, no, Twinkies never have an expiration date. I was like, ah, I see where you're going with this now. And so like, you know, so he's like, in his mind, he had just come up with this great like analogy for the love of Jesus. And here we are talking about how Jesus' love is like a Twinkie, right? It has no expiration date. It's unchanging, right? A Twinkie back in the 60s might be the same Twinkie uh, of today, right? (laughs) You never know. But this is how it is, right? Jesus did what he did in obedience to the Father, yes. But... He did it because of his love, his deep, deep love for you and for me, his perfect, sacrificial, eternal love for us. We read this story and we think, okay, I want to emulate Jesus' humility. So we reach for the towel first and it's like, all right, I'm just going to do this and I'm just going to wash feet. And here's the reality, friends. Humility begins with love in your heart, not a towel in your hands. If we begin to serve but we do not love the people around us, then what's going to happen is we're going to expect recognition for our acts of service or we'll be frustrated when people don't reciprocate. We need need to serve others not for what we can get out of it, but for the simple reality that we love the people around us. And my question to you this morning is, does this describe your heart? Is love permeating all the layers of your heart for what God has called you to do, or are you doing it more out of duty rather than desire? Right? Is it, I just have to do this because I have to. Rather, I'm motivated by the love of the people around me and the love of Jesus for me to go and serve in humility the people around me. If it does not describe your heart, simply ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with the love of Christ that will move you to serve others. And as love moves you to the people around us, around you, ultimately what you'll find is that it's important for us to understand that humility is lived out of our identity. Right? It's lived out of our identity. We have to understand that in the midst of all of this, right, one of the most shocking lines of this entire passage is found in verse 3. It said that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so you would think the natural outflow of that would be that he came and he began to assert authority over the disciples. That he began to have them serve him because he had all authority and all of heaven on earth available to him. But instead, he wraps a towel around his waist and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And we lose the power of this picture in our modern context. You see, this act of foot washing was not for the rabbi. It was for a servant. On such occasions, the host would hire a servant to remove the sandals of the men and then wash their feet. And not a single one of the disciples would volunteer for such a task because it would have admitted that they were inferior to the other disciples around them. In fact, in Luke's account of this story, we see that they come into the room arguing about who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so everyone is kind of holding out like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Matthew, you should do it. I'm not doing it. 
I'm not, have Judas do it. Have, you know, like they're all kind of staring each other down. Who's going to do it? And then Jesus, the least likely person, gets up and he begins to exercise not his authority, but rather begins to act out of his identity. Jesus was perfectly aware of his sovereign authority, his divine origin, and his eternal destiny. Yet, awareness did not prevent him from washing his disciples' feet. Rather, his knowledge of who he was permitted him. It permitted him to serve in a lowly fashion without having a complex about what other people would think. When you know who you are and whose you are, then you are free to live out the calling that God has given to you. This is such an important thing for us in our service to the people around us. Some people think, I cannot do this. This is not possible for me. Friends, it is possible if you know who you are and whose you are. Nothing is above you. Nothing is below you. But if you are insecure about who you are, then you will need to act in a way that will overcompensate for what you want others to believe about you. You begin to become the guy who's always micromanaging or always has your hand in every pot or is, or is kind of coming in and, and portraying yourself to be a certain way. But if you are rooted in your identity and who God has called you to be, then humility becomes the foundation that makes you secure in whatever is asked of you. Why? Because humility does whatever is motivated by love for God and love for others. It's that simple. Some of you, you're unaware of who God has created you to be and as followers of Jesus, what your identity is based on what God's word says about you. Here's just a few that I chose to look at here today. You are a child of God, it says in Galatians 3. You are loved, John 3 says. You are chosen, Ephesians, 4 says, or Ephesians 1 says. You are a masterpiece made by God, it says in Ephesians 2. You are known even before you were born, it says in Jeremiah 1. You are not alone, God is with you. It says in John 14, you are a new creation. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, you are named by God, not labeled by man. You are more than a conqueror. It says in Romans 8, and you are mighty in his power. It says in Ephesians 6. Friends, this is just a, a sliver of what, who, who it is that God has said that you are the moment you put your faith in him. You have the ability to go and to serve and to live out that identity because God has says that, said that about you. You might not feel like that's who you are, but that does not change that that is who God has declared you to be. My girls are very into princess movies right now. You guys know, if you remember the stage of life, I have a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a four-year-old. So princess movies are pretty much all we watch nowadays. Um, uh, and there's a, there was one uh, that they watched that was a throwback. It was this girl who was going through the mundane things in life, I believe, on the West Coast in California area. And someone shows up at her door and, and, and reveals that she is a princess. Crazy stories begin to come out. She goes back to her home country and all these things. All these things come out, right? But here's the reality. Even when she didn't feel like a princess, guess what? She was a princess. 
you may not feel like all these things that we just listed, but it does not change that God has declared this truth over you. And what we need to begin to do is place ourselves in a way where we begin to live out the truths of this reality in our lives. We need to begin to walk like we are not just anyone, but we are a child of God. We need to walk and, and, and live like we know that we are loved by God the Father, that we've been chosen, that we are a masterpiece, that we are known, that we are not alone, that we are a new creation, that we've been named by God, that we have the power of the eternal God living in us, and therefore we are more than conquerors because of what Jesus has done for us. This is the reality of what God has created uh, or made available to us. And it's no wonder that Jesus, knowing all of this reality about his identity, did not come and say, serve me, but rather came to serve. This is what he describes his life to do. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He was rooted and knew who he was. And we are, when we are rooted and know who we are, we are, begin, we are able to do whatever requires glory for God. You need me to go and pick up trash? Happy to do it if it will bring glory to God. You need me to go and mow the lawn? Happy to do it if it requires glory to God, or if it will bring glory to God. You need me to go do whatever it is, fill in the blank? I'm happy to do it if it will bring glory to God because I know who God has declared me to be. Friends, we cannot live the life of, that Christ has called us to live if we do not know who we are in Christ. So humility is rooted in our identity, and Jesus shows us a perfect picture of that. Instead of exercising his authority, he submits to the people around him. And when you know who you are, then you'll be able to walk in humility like Jesus did. And Jesus was able to teach us as a result that when you see a need, you simply go and meet that need. And that's what humility does. It meets the needs that it sees. It simply meets the needs that it sees. Again, was washing the feet for was washing feet for the Son of God and the Savior of the world? No. Again, it was for a servant, but not just for any servant. Likely, this task was for the lowest servant in the home. So, if a man had Jewish and Gentile servants, the Gentile servant would go and wash the feet. If they had children and there were no servants in the room, then the children would come and wash the feet. And in their patriarchal society back in the day, if there were no servants, if there were no children, then it would be the women who would come. Right? This, is, this is the view that they had of washing the feet. It was the lowest of the jobs. And yet Jesus, being the rabbi, this person of authority comes and sees the need that, hey, these, these disciples' feet are dirty, and so he just goes to meet that need. Do you know, I, I read in a commentary this week, that there is no other example in all of the ancient world of a person of authority coming and watching the, the feet of the people around him? Not a single one. Jesus is flipping the world upside down in the example that he is setting for the disciples. It's unheard of what he did. And he saw this need and he said, you know what, I'm going to meet this need because I have the ability to do it. No one was stepping up to set, to set this or to meet this this need in the room, but Jesus comes, and you feel the tension, right? You feel the tension in verses six through eight. In verses five, four and five, he it talks about how he gets up and he wraps it around his waist and he begins to do this. He begins to wash the disciples' feet. But look at what happens in verse six. It says, "When Simon Peter, uh, when he came to Simon Peter." 
He said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like this is a, it's, it's a, it's a statement of shock. Lord, no, 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 no. What are you doing? You're not going to wash my feet. Jesus replies, listen, you don't know what, you, what I'm doing, but you will understand it later. And Peter says, no, 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 you shall never wash my feet. That word never there in the Greek, it's a double negative. What essentially means, no, for not all of eternity will you do this. I mean, Peter, he's not just running his mouth. He is genuinely disturbed by the picture that is being laid out in front of him because he could not believe what he was seeing. It cut right through his understanding of leadership and greatness and authority to see the Savior of the world, the Messiah before him, washing his feet. Yet Jesus knew who he was. He loved the people around him, and so he met the needs of the people that he, that he was closest to. And this is what humility does, friends. It turns the world on its head. Regardless of the need, you have the ability to go and meet that need. Someone has to do it. It might as well be you or me, whoever recognizes that need in front of us. So my question is, what do you do when you see a need around you? Early in the week, I was working at, working at a coffee shop, just kind of sitting here, uh, literally reading this passage. And I come to this point, and as I'm reading this, a dad had come in earlier uh, with his wife and their newborn child. So my hunch is that this was maybe, I don't know this, but maybe their first outing since having the baby. I mean, the baby was little, little. And so he comes in, and they're kind of outside eating. It was on one of those nice days. And he comes in, and as he's coming in, he's got all these trays and baskets with their sandwiches and everything. And he takes a step, and he drops all of them. And of course, because, right, it, this is just how it goes, they all drop on the floor face down, right? So all the food is everywhere. And he goes, of course. And in that moment, most of the restaurant looks up, sees it, and goes back to working. And I'm reading, and f full disclosure, all right, I don't want to paint myself to be this great saint. I did the same thing. And then, <laughs> and then, I read, right, I read in verse, uh, verse 15, I set for you an example <laughs> that you should follow. And I set, got up and I started picking up his stuff. He had gone and carried one of the trays back and I started picking up. I was grabbing his half-eaten sandwich, you know, the half-eaten pickles, the chips that are there. And I'm scooping him into the plate and he goes, oh, sir, thank you. You did not have to do that. I just said to him, happy to do it. That was it. That was it. There was no, like, gospel presentation. You know, there was no, like, pro, you know, big thing. It was just like, and I got up, I went back to my chair, sat down. Sometimes the opportunities to just show humility are much smaller than we think they need to be. The example that we set sees a need in front of us and just seeks to meet this need. Why? Because we know who we are and we're motivated by the love that God has for the people around us. Humble acts reflect Jesus to the world. This humble act of foot washing that Jesus shows was a foreshadowing of the selfless act of forgiveness that he would ultimately show on the cross. What would it look like for Hill City to be known as a church who meets the needs that it sees around us? What if it was just second nature for us that if we saw something, we just went and did it? We didn't expect praise. We didn't expect recognition. We didn't even expect resource, and we just went and did it. What would it look like for our church to be known 
as a church who just got things done, who did things, not because they wanted names in lights or anything like that, but just to show the love of Jesus to the community. One of our values is physical presence. We want to be physically present in the communities that we are in for the way, or because we want to do this, meet the needs of the people around us. We want to walk in humility and meet the needs of the people around us, regardless of what those tasks are. Humility meets the needs that it sees. And again, this is what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus modeled just a life of meeting the needs around us. And perhaps most clearly, we see this in the next part of the story, where Jesus shows us that humility forgives abundantly. Humility forgives abundantly. You may not understand what's going on in this next section. It's a little confusing. But he begins to interact with Peter, and Peter's like, no, no, you can't wash my feet. And, and, and Jesus goes on, and he says, okay, you have, I have to wash your feet. And Peter comes back, and he's like, then give me a whole bath. And Peter's like, and Jesus is like, no, 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 you're misunderstanding the point. You see, what, what needs to happen for us to begin to understand this is to actually understand the picture of forgiveness that we see throughout Scripture. Forgiveness is the release or the dismissal of something. It's actually a legal term that we see throughout Scripture, uh, and it's the act of pardoning an offender. You see that releasing of someone, right? In the Bible, the Greek word translated for forgiveness literally means to let go of. And so when a person does not demand debt or the payment of debt, they're letting go of that. And so you can begin to see the foundation of this word forgiveness. And humility forgives abundantly because it sees the need for forgiveness in the other person before it demands retribution or demands the ability to get even. It says, no, 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 I'm going to release this offense that's been made towards me. I'm going to let it go. Right? And so Jesus, he's coming and he's beginning to wash the disciples' feet. And he's beginning, beginning to give the disciples a picture of what God's forgiveness of our sins is to look like. How it's meant to be a model and a measure of the forgiveness that we're meant to give to the people around us. And forgiveness is not given because a person deserves to be forgiven. So often that's not the case. I don't deserve to be forgiven by God, but yet he forgives me abundantly. It's given, that forgiveness is given graciously. God's forgiveness of our sin is to be the model, like I said, and the measure for how we forgive other people. Forgiveness is a decision that we are making to not hold something against another person despite what he or she has done to you. In our home, a simple way that we live this out is when someone comes and asks for forgiveness, we, we grant them forgiveness. It's just that simple, right? So if, a, if my kids get into a fight and they go and they do something wrong and they realize that, when they go and ask for forgiveness, the other person gives, grants them forgiveness because that is how God acts towards us. In fact, we even make them give each other a hug just to make it a little bit sweeter in the moment, right? And I say this to my, I say this just about my kids. The reality is this is true for me as well. When I mess up and I ask for forgiveness for my wife, she gives it. Same thing happens when she comes and asks for forgiveness, I give it. Why? Because forgiveness has been given to us freely, so we want to give forgiveness to the people around us freely. And this is what is happening in this picture with Jesus and Peter as they're having this interaction, right? Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
No part with me. So what Jesus is saying here is, is unwashed people do not belong to Jesus. In other words, unforgiven people, they have no part with Jesus. We need to come and we need to, we need to experience reconciliation. We need to be made right in between our sins and God. So we need to come and we need to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins as we submit our lives to him. But then what happens is we begin to see that over time we begin to realize that we're walking in a world of sin. And so Peter, he goes on, he's like, okay, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Give me a bath, Jesus. I want to be washed. And he says, Jesus' response is, those who've had a bath, they only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. In other words, if you have put your faith and your hope in Jesus, you have received that forgiveness. You've been reconciled to God. What is going to happen is you've already received a bath right, in Jesus' words. And as you walk through our world of sin, your feet are going to become dirty. It's just going to naturally happen. Things are going to happen, and you will have other sins that you will need to repent of. And thankfully, 1 John 1.9 says that he is faithful and he is just, and he will forgive us of all sins when we confess them to him. And so what Peter, what Peter is missing, what Jesus is painting this picture is, hey, this washing of the feet is actually a picture of the daily forgiveness that we need to seek after before God. We, need, we are going to mess up, we're going to fall short, and Jesus comes, and we, he will give us that continual forgiveness that we need. But we don't need to take the whole bath again, right? If you went out to dinner and you took a bath, you got all dialed up to go out to this dinner but you stepped in a puddle along the way, what would you do? You'd wipe off your feet. You wouldn't go take a whole shower again. The same is true. Once you've been reconciled with God as initially putting your faith in Jesus and asking for that forgiveness of sin, what happens is you need that daily forgiveness for the sin that kind of comes, creeps into your life as you, as you walk in this world. Those moments of greed, those moments of jealousy, those moments where you act out of alignment with the model that Jesus has set for us, those are the things that we now need to come and ask for forgiveness. That's where we come and we just need our feet washed. This is kind of the picture that Jesus is painting out for us. And so he's saying, listen, I'm going to come and I will forgive you abundantly, infinitely, more than what is needed, but it's going to come as a result of just that daily foot washing where you come and you lay your sins before the Father. You don't need a whole bath again if you put your faith in Jesus. You simply need to come and ask for forgiveness. So this is what Peter was not understanding. But again, this is a practical picture of our salvation. Jesus forgives us abundantly. Washing the disciples' feet is a picture of of our need for the ongoing forgiveness that happens as a result of us walking in this world of sin. And if we want to become like Jesus, then we ourselves need to forgive abundantly. Again, Jesus is our model, and he is the measure for what all forgiveness looks like around us. Friends, and this is our goal, to become like Jesus. And this will only happen if we embrace humility. Why? Because towards the end, Jesus ultimately shares that humility sets an example to follow. In verses 2 through 11, Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, but then in verses 12 through 17, he begins to explain, he begins to explain the meaning and the implications of this washing of the feet. These verses teach us the, that the mandate of service, of humility, is ultimately inescapable. Right? If you just look at verse 15, this is enough of what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. 
No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. You know these things, and you will be blessed if you do them. I think it's interesting. He doesn't say you will be blessed if you know them. You will be blessed if you do them. And he's making this argument from greater to lesser here. He's saying, listen, teachers, my, I'm your teacher, but I've washed your feet. He says, hey, no servant is greater than the master. No messenger is greater than the one who gave him the message. He says, therefore, if I'm willing to wash your feet, then there is nothing that you should be unwilling to do. And this word that teacher is used, it's a, it's a rabbinical term. It's a big, it describes a rabbinical role, I should say, of spiritual instruction. And in John's gospel, we see that Lord is often a title of authority. And so here we see teacher and Lord. We see that John's gospel is ultimately portraying this picture of divine authority. And so if their Lord and teacher is willing to wash their feet, then we should also be willing to wash one another's feet as yell as well. I remember this one time when uh, I was Elena was playing soccer and we had I have this whiteboard in in my office and we were going through all these scenarios where like okay if you get the ball here you need to look to to pass the ball up here and I the this exact scenario that we had been working on and the on my whiteboard in my office played out in the game, all right and I was like all excited and in my moment of like excitement. I yelled, kick it on. I meant to say kick it on to like the next person, but I, I like mixed all my words and it sounded like kick it out. And so she turned and just booted it out right out of bounds. And I was like, oops. Um, the coach turned around and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, hmm. I don't know. I'm sorry. That's on me. That's on me. I'm the yelling parent that did the wrong thing and totally coached my kid in the wrong way. And the funny thing is, afterwards, Elena came up to me and was like, Dad, why did you tell me to kick it out? I was like, I don't know. She knew what to do, right? She knew what to do, and she did exactly as I had said instead of what we had kind of practiced. Friends, sometimes we know too much and we just simply do things that we, that we don't mean to do, right? And that was kind of my thing. I, I knew the right thing, but I, I yelled the wrong thing. What mattered in that moment is what Yelena did, right? We need to make sure that we are practicing the very things that we know. We need to make sure that our, our thoughts are aligning with where we are going in this. Throughout church history, this command has not been ever viewed as a physical need to wash feet, all right? Jesus is not instituting a new command for the church like baptism or communion, but rather he is creating a, a, an example of people who are willing to serve in humility the people around us. So the question becomes, what would it look like for us to be a community of foot washers who live with this question always on our lips. Is there anything that I can do for you? That is the model that Jesus has set before us. And the consequences are, are real. I think about what Jesus says. If we are not willing to serve the people around us, then we do not have the right to call Jesus our teacher and Lord. That's what he says. In washing the disciples' feet, Jesus laid down a pattern of what it means to be like him. To be like Jesus is to be a servant. And we cannot become like Jesus if we are not willing to serve people around us. So if Jesus 
was willing to wash feet, then we can be willing to turn off the lights around our house. If Jesus was willing to wash feet, then you can work without the recognition. If Jesus was willing to wash feet, then you can be part of a set up and tear down team here at church. No one will know about it, but you're simply serving out of the overflow of who you are. If Jesus washed feet, then you can pick up trash that isn't yours. If Jesus washed feet, then you can give grace to the people around you who are undeserving of it. If people wash feet, then you can listen without giving a response. If Jesus washed feet, then you can give to someone who is in need. Right? These are some of these pictures of humility that Jesus has set for us. And if he is willing to do the lowest of tasks, then there is nothing above us and there is nothing below us. This is humility, and this is what Jesus has modeled for us because it's his greatest character trait. And this is the model that he's inviting you and I to be a part of. No one is above being served. Jesus, in this moment, he comes and he says, I'm willing to serve you. But no one is below being served either. Because I think about it, and we don't really have the time to dive into this, but he washed Judas's feet. You guys ever thought about that? I mean, Judas was in the room. We see later in John 13 that he gets up and leaves. But in that moment, Jesus knew that Jesus was going to betray him. And he washed his feet anyways. There's the abundant forgiveness, right? I'm willing to do this thing even though you are going to hurt me in this way. Friends, the simple truth is that we can model humility through the power of the Spirit at work within us. And humility is a doorway that allows us to experience all the other attributes of God the Father. And so here's my challenge for us this week. It's simple. How can you show humility in your life? What would humility look like for you? Who can you place before yourself? Who can you put, whose needs can you put ahead of your own needs? In those moments when you choose humility, you are ultimately choosing to become like Jesus. You are choosing Jesus. And I think that those are some of the greatest things that we can offer to the world. And frankly, if I can maybe speak to the, to the men in the room, I think on Father's Day, that is one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your families as well. Whether you are a dad or not, here's the reality, men, one of the greatest things that we can give to the world around us is humility. In a world that portrays masculinity as people who dominate with power and dominate with authority, what would it look like to be a church that's motivated by love, secure in our identity, but willing to do whatever is needed for the people around us? Dads, you especially model this so well. So often it goes without being recognized. I understand that. We get that. But in those moments, just know this, that you are passing on a picture of Jesus that the people closest to you would not have without you. You are oftentimes the greatest picture of faith for the people around you. And there's countless examples and research results that show that the role of a man in a child's life and a family's uh, life is so critical. It's not just critical academically. It's not just critical socially. It's critical spiritually. You are painting a picture for what Jesus looks like. Some of you, you didn't have a great example of that. I'm so sorry. 
but you have a picture of that in Jesus and through your heavenly father. And ultimately, that's all we're trying to do. We are trying to just become like Jesus and reflect him to the world around us. So men, I would love to just pray a blessing over you today on Father's Day. And we're gonna sing one final song of worship, just praying that the spirit would reveal how we can walk in humility. So if you're a man, I would love just to invite you to stand up. I know it's a little uncomfortable. Action is weird, all right? Recognition is weird, but deal with it. I'm asking you to do it. Um, hey, we, we do wanna just bless you. Just like we said on Mother's Day, we want, we want to be a church filled uh, with women who are living out the heart of their father. Men, we want to be a church full of men who are living out the heart of their father. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the men in this room, whether they're actual uh, biological fathers, whether they've stepped in to uh, a spiritual father role, whether they are great uncles or friends, Father, whatever their role is in the lives of the people around them, Lord, I thank you for them. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would bless them with just the power to be humble men, men who look to you as their model and example of life. Lord, I thank you for the ways that they are doing that in their world today already. And I pray, God, that you would do that immeasurably more in them and through them over these coming days and weeks and months and years. Make them more like you, Jesus, through the power of your spirit at work within them. Give them opportunities to model humility because in those moments, Jesus, they model you to their world around them in their workplace, in their friends, in their families, in their marriages, in their school, whatever it might be, Father, I pray, God, that they would be men of humility, rooted in their identity in you, because they know, Father, that that is ultimately who you were and who you've created us to be. And so, Lord, we bless them today on Father's Day and ask and pray, Father, that you would do a great work in them as you do a great work through them as well. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So again, to the men, humility is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to the people closest to us. The rest of the church, why don't you guys stand with us? And my challenge to you is this. Humility is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to the world around us. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and show us how we can model this to the world around us. Let's worship.